Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me today. Today we're going to be back in our Matthew study, Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's gospel. And I thank you for joining me. I trust that this will be a blessing to you as we look at Lesson 36, The Selfless One. Matthew will now recount for us a tender memory and how it affected Jesus and how he handled it. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 today. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. So I want us to look at this account briefly this morning. Jesus' cousin and friend and the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, is killed by wicked Herod in this account. Matthew records the account for us, and Matthew is also showing us its effect on Jesus. So what has happened is Herod, who had prior to this time killed John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, the one who was prophesied by Malachi and by Isaiah to go before the Lord and prepare his way. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 11, and in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Also, Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, speaks of the coming of Elijah, which Jesus attested in spirit was partially fulfilled with John the Baptist. There is still coming Elijah, according to Jesus. He verified that in Matthew chapter 17. But in spirit, he did say that John the Baptist's coming was in the spirit of Elijah as well. Now, I've done a more in-depth study about John the Baptist called Wilderness Man at the Jordan. And you can look at that if you'd like to and listen to that. It's free. It's in the archives. John the Baptist was a fiery prophet like Elijah. He was standing for righteousness, and he stood for righteousness even to the highest ruler in the land at that time, which was Herod. 
John the Baptist was not very well liked by many, and he certainly made a ruckus with Herod. He exposed Herod's sin, and it made Herod's new wife very mad and very angry. I'm sure Herod as well, but Herod feared the people, and so he would not act on his anger, but his wife harbored it. And so when the day came for Herod's birthday party, the daughter of Herodias performed a seductive dance and gave the request to Herod when he asked that John be beheaded. John had already been put in prison, but now Herod, to keep face in front of all of his people and to honor the oath that he had made to Herodias's daughter, he sent and had John literally beheaded in prison. John's disciples go and retrieve and bury his body because burying the body is a very crucial thing, very important to the Jewish people because it honors the body that God had provided for us in this life. And so John's disciples come and give him that honor and that dignity to retrieve and bury his remaining body. Jesus hears about this and Jesus is moved in his spirit. He is grieved. This was the loss of his cousin, the loss of his friend. And he knew that it came because of the hardness of hearts of wicked Herod and others. They decided to choose sin and death over life and peace. This was Herod's choice, and Herod would later pay for that choice. But Jesus himself was grieved inside at their hardness of heart and sin and at the loss of his cousin and friend. He shared our human emotions, and he still does to this day. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that we don't have a great high priest sitting at the right hand of God that cannot be moved with the feelings of our infirmities, but rather he is. Rather, Jesus cares. Peter said to cast our care upon the Lord because he cares for us. If it matters to us, it matters to him. He shares our burdens. He shares our hurts. He shares our pain. He bears those human emotions with us. He cares. But Jesus also knew he had a higher calling. And so when he looked out, even in spite of his own grief and pain, when he looked out and saw the needs of the people around him, he was moved with compassion. In the Greek, that actually means that his it's like his bowels yearned. He had sympathy or pity from deep within him. He really, really cared deep inside. He saw the need and he cared. It mattered to him. It mattered enough that he did not ignore their need, even in his own need and grief. He did not ignore the need of the people, as we will see in the next session, even in spite of his own grieving, even in spite of his own pain. Jesus understood this, that is important for us as his disciples to understand. It's not about us. It's not about our wants. It's not about our needs. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our comforts. But it is about God's will and fulfilling God's purpose. And Jesus knew that that was the higher calling, that was the higher priority in spite of his own pain or sorrow. In Psalm chapter 40, 
David writes this psalm, and I'd like to read verses 1 through 10. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, here, beginning in verse 6, it speaks a few verses here of a prophetic messianic promise that will be and has been fulfilled in Yeshua, the Messiah. Verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. In Psalm 40, these verses 6 through 10 are prophetic of the Messiah. And even in Hebrews, we have the author of Hebrews attest to that for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Now there is where the author of Hebrews quotes David the psalmist from Psalm chapter 40, applying this to Jesus when Jesus came. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 10, continuing. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus knew that his purpose, according to the prophet David in Psalm 40, was to come, that it, the whole volume of the book, the whole of the Hebrew scriptures had been written concerning him. 
and his mission and what he would accomplish as the promised one, as the Messiah. And he knew that it was not about him and his own wishes, his own desire. He came to do the Father's will. And he knew what that will was because in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it speaks of how it was the Father's will to bruise him, to crush him, to to have him die in our place for the sin of the entire world. We saw the picture of that in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham offered Isaac. That was just a prophetic picture. Abraham did not continue and kill Isaac. God would never have accepted a human sacrifice. But it was only a picture to show us what was coming in the Messiah where God the Father would give his only son, his only begotten son, for the sin of the world. And he did that through Jesus Christ and his offering on the cross at the hill called Golgotha. This was done in God's mind, in the mind of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit of the living God, before the world was even made. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20 tells us that as does Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This decision was done. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew his task, his mission, and he came to do it. And he did it and willingly fulfilled it, willingly and obediently according to the scriptures, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. So even when Jesus was tired or grieving, he was still sensitive and caring of other people's needs. He put his own desires aside to do the Father's will, to care for those that God had brought to him. Jesus never asks us to do anything he himself wouldn't do or hasn't already done. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, let's look at that, please. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says this, When he, meaning Jesus, had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls us as his disciples to live a life of self-denial, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled this to its fullness. Jesus himself denied himself, took up his cross, and followed the will of God. For he knew in the volume of the book it had been written of him, and he had come to do the Father's will, not his own. Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled this to its full. He exhibited sacrifice, selflessness, and humility, just as he demands. He obeyed his Father. He is the epitome of selflessness. Matthew shows us Jesus as the selfless one in this account. Even though he realized the loss of his dear friend and forerunner, he did not allow his own desire or pain to stop him from the greater task, obeying his Father. This is also evident in other areas in his life and ministry, from Gethsemane all the way through the journey to Golgotha. Pain, suffering, languishing all along the way, yet 
His course was set, his mind was made up, his destiny was ahead. In the garden, he surrendered everything to the Lord. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, it tells us how he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Here is one of the early accounts with John the Baptist being beheaded, showing Jesus' selflessness, his surrender to his Father's will. His entire life shines through this truth in many ways. As his disciples, it's also incumbent on us to deny ourselves. I had an episode one time where I learned this firsthand, and the Lord kept me in a situation that he would not allow me to get out of because it was for someone else. He had me in that situation to minister to someone else. And I was miserable at first until I understood that he had placed me there to be a minister to that person. And then my whole countenance changed, my whole attitude changed, and I was able to surrender to him. And he was able to use me in that situation. The Lord taught me a valuable lesson there. There was another time at a Christmas work party for my husband's work. And there was a particular person there that I didn't particularly like, but God had me there to minister to that man and his girlfriend at that time. And so the Lord used us to be a blessing to them. But it wasn't about me. It wasn't about us. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lord's will being done. Jesus himself proved this, and this is only one example. Jesus is the selfless one. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes in this study of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, as we continue through this series. God bless you today, in Jesus' name, amen.